All right, Dave read for us Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and we're going to focus on one of those verses, Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, since we all live in a sin-cursed world, each and every person, including Christians, will experience some form of conflict. Christ himself certainly experienced plenty of it, and he was perfect. The big difference between him and us is that at no time did any of his conflict come from himself. In fact, let's begin by turning to James chapter 4. And anytime there is some kind of conflict or lack of peace going on in our lives, we would be very wise to stop long enough to ask ourselves the question, why is there no peace in my life at the moment? Now, lack of peace is not always because there's a sin issue. I've experienced many times when God has put a restless spirit within me simply because He's getting ready to move me on in another direction or He wants me to see something that I'm not seeing and perhaps I'm sure you, if you've been saved for any length of time, you've experienced something similar. The Lord puts a restless spirit within you, and you've examined, and that lack of peace is not because of any sin issue that's going on. But you can be sure. And sometimes, I know when we were getting ready to leave Huttonsville, and uh, for those that may not know, I helped establish a church there in Huttonsville. We there were 14 years. And I was very contented to stay there the rest of my life. I enjoyed that area, enjoyed the church. Things were going great, and I wanted to stay there. But two years before we moved, God began to give me a restless spirit, which I didn't care for much because I knew what it was probably going to lead to. And that was move. And I hate moving. But there's no question after that length of period of time that God was making it clear, I've got another assignment for you somewhere else. And so anytime you get that, then maybe what it's for. But there's enough conflict going on in our lives that every time it's there, we need to stop long enough and evaluate the situation. And James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, is a very big help. This is, where do wars and fights come from among you? In other words, why is the world not getting along? Why are people not getting along? Why do families fight each other? Why do marriages struggle? It says, they do not come from your, or do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Now, is it wrong to have desires? Obviously not. But when those desires become so strong that it becomes a demand, as this passage is talking about, now we're getting into a problem. The desire is no longer to please God. The desire is more to please myself. And that creates war within us. And it's possible that for a while, the lack of peace that's in our life may be just personally... It hasn't involved anybody else yet. But it will eventually. And if you've been married for any length of time, you know what that is, don't you? <laughs> 
If you're cranky, does it stay to you personally? I mean, do you maintain your, your grumpiness to yourself? No, it usually spills over into the spouse or the kids or the dog or the cat, you know, whatever it may be, whoever's closest in, in your outreach. But you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not because you ask not. Ask not what? We're not asking, why is this problem here? Why is this lack of peace here? We have to stop and ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it upon your pleasures. See, again, it's not wrong to have pleasures. 1 Timothy 4 makes that clear. Or maybe it's 1 Timothy 6. It says, God's given you all these things to enjoy. God expects us and wants to enjoy life. Now, there's some out there that don't want to be Christians because we Christians are dull and boring and we don't have any fun. So they don't want it. Now, their idea of fun and my idea of fun are two different kinds of fun. Now, when we were in Huttonsville, I was talking to a man, and that was one reason he didn't want to become a Christian. You Christians just don't have any fun. I said, well, I got a proposition for you. On Sunday, we're having a church, or on Saturday, we're having a church picnic. I would like you to come as my guest. Don't bring any food. There'll be plenty to go around. You just come and enjoy our company during our picnic. If at the end of that picnic, you think we're dull, boring, and uninteresting, I'll never come and visit you again. Deal. He showed up. And when we got done with that picnic, he said, you're right. You had good, clean, honest fun. I enjoyed myself immensely today. And tomorrow I won't worry about a hangover or who I've been with. I said, yep, that's what it's all about. But when we do things for our own pleasure, your pleasure, my pleasure aren't the same and they conflict. But when my pleasure and your pleasure mesh with God's pleasure, we got, a, got something we can't beat. It's called peace. So conflict, it began with Adam and Eve. And again, you remember what happened. God says, what have you done? And he said, that serpent. Blamed it on the serpent. And God said to Adam, what did you do? This is bold. That woman you gave me. You know where he was putting the blame? On God. <laughs> he wasn't just blaming the woman. That woman you gave me. I don't know if I could do that, but he did. I'd, I'd want to be, but God knew anyways, didn't he? You might as well be that honest and bold with God because he knows you're not going to hide it from him, so you might as well just be right up front and bold. But Oh, Adam and Eve, I'm sure they begin squabbling right away. We know their two boys did to the point that one killed the other, the first murder. It didn't take long for murder to enter the world. Conflict. It's obvious that no one in life is ever going to escape it. It's an impossibility. In fact, there's a movie I watched once. I don't remember the name of it, but they had this guy in a bubble to create a perfect environment for him. Everything was controlled, and it still wasn't perfect. 
even if there's one person on earth it wouldn't be perfect because that person has a sin nature and you'll fight with yourself have you ever done that <laughs> yeah we have haven't we <laughs> yeah so but can we have conflict without personal sin yes we can it usually means God's moving us in a way and that we may not see yet, and He's moving us. But we as believers are the only ones that have any hope of managing our conflicts, whatever they may be, and finding a biblical resolution. That is really the basis behind our counseling that we do here. When people come in here, they have some kind of a conflict. Whether is it within themselves personally or with somebody else in a marriage or somewhere. And they're looking for some form of resolution that will bring peace to their soul. And we don't use psychology or psychiatry. We use the Word of God because it's the only thing that works. And if you've been using the Word of God in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Over the years, your marriages should be getting better. Your home should be getting better. Things should be getting better when we're applying the truth. Because basically what I'm doing, we're, to, to reduce this all down, is to make it simple, when I get me out of the way and I do things God's way, things get better. So we could probably quit preaching this series right now and, and realize that's the whole problem. Me. <laughs> Let's look at James chapter 1. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many woke up this morning and said, Lord, give me a trial today. I need some joy. <laughs> Do we ever wake up and say that? No. Because we think real joy is an absence of, of trials today. And don't we pray, Lord, may I have a great day and bless this day? My brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, which means how many different varieties of trials are out there? Numerous. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, nobody's here ever asked for patience, have you? If you did, what did you get? <laughs> you got trials. But let patience have its perfect work or maturing work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, that it may be given to him. We have to come to the grips with this. Trials, tests, conflicts are a necessary part of our sanctification process as a Christian. So instead of resisting it and fighting it, I don't think we need to pray for them and ask them to come. We need to say, Lord, when they come, may I respond in the way you would have me to so that I can develop these characteristics in my life. Patience, perseverance, maturity. And so in the next few weeks, again, our... We want to learn how to develop peace from a biblical perspective and be able to maintain it. Now, it's never going to be 100%. But I believe, and I, I believe from my own personal experience, 
that it can be dramatically improved and better maintained when I am practicing and applying the truth of this book. Now, what's the world doing to find peace? Well, they're going out and finding it in a bottle or drugs, some form of pleasure, maybe some mater material possessions. I think if I just get this, I'll be at peace. I'll, I'll have joy. In fact, I just started reading a book today. If anybody wants to read it when I'm done, in fact, there's two of them. One's on the woman's perspective for those who are in, in Islam. And those that have been witnessing to these women, the number one thing that's bringing these Muslim women to Christ is because in Islam, there is no peace. And I've just read the first three chapters this morning, and it's amazing, these women long for peace, and they're not finding it in the Quran. And so said the number one way to reach a woman who is in, 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 in the Islam religion is to offer her peace. Because she's interested and she knows it's not in the Quran. She knows it's not in the Muslim religion. But because she, in fact, women are a substandard human creature in the men's eyes. They are abused and mistreated because they are there just for whatever the man wants. If he likes, feels like beating on her, as long as he doesn't mar her image, her body, he can beat on her all he wants. And she has to stand there and take it because that's how being a good Muslim is. It's not right, not fitting well with some of those Muslims. But we as Christians don't go there and in this book, in just the first chapters, it shared this, that uh, we don't hear much about it, but there actually are a lot of Muslims coming to know Christ as a result, since, especially since 9-11, with all the bombings and, and, and the suicide bombings going on. A lot of individuals are coming to know Christ because they just know this isn't right. We're not hearing about it in the media. We never will. But these folks are looking for peace because in their own religion it doesn't exist. Not even the remotest amount of peace exists. And they long for it. And Romans 12 makes it clear that peace is possible in our families, in our employment, our places of employment, our churches, and even our governments. Can you imagine what this world would be like if every government was seeking peace by this book? be awesome, wouldn't it? But it's never happened and it won't. Here's a quote from Ken Sand. Focusing on God is the key to resolving conflicts in a godly manner. We must remember His mercy and draw on His strength. When we do, we invariably see things more clearly and respond to conflict more wisely. This comes from the book he wrote called The Peacemakers. Everyone views conflicts differently. Most of the time we see it as an aggravation. God wants to see it as an opportunity to learn more about God, learn more about myself, and about the truth. Now when we try to avoid conflicts, whatever it may form it may come in, 
there's basically three approaches. The first one is the escape response. The focus is on me and my comfort zone. I'm in my comfort zone and I, and you all have one, right? You know where it is and we all like it. Don't rattle my cage, don't jerk my chain. I'm in my comfort zone, everything is just fine. Have anybody ever stayed there? Doesn't happen, does it? We don't want life to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be threatened with any issues. So we just try to escape it. And one way we do that is by denial. We simply deny that the problem exists. It's kind of like the ostrich approach. Stick our head in the sand and hope it goes away. In Genesis 16, Sarah had that problem. She couldn't get pregnant, even though God promised that someday she would. So what did she do? She gave Abram, her husband, her handmaid. And she got pregnant. Hagar did. What did Sarah do? She tried to deny that it happened and tried to send Hagar away. Tried to put it out of our mind. This, this didn't happen. I've been with my husband X number of years. I don't know how long they've been married by this point, but they've been married a long time. And it didn't take very long, and Abraham got Hagar pregnant. Sarah tried to get rid of Hagar just to deny that it happened. Another one, we're not going to turn there, but in 1 Samuel 2, Eli and his two sons, towards the end of Eli's life, and this was not something that happened overnight. This is something that was ongoing. But it came to Eli's attention. I, knew, I believe he knew it all along, but he denied it. His sons were immoral. He, they, they had developed a temple prostitution in the temple, and they were sleeping with the ladies, and they were stealing the offerings that the people were bringing in. And this was going on, and Eli just denied it and ignored it until the end of his life when he couldn't ignore it anymore. God said, you're going to die and so are your sons. We've got to be careful we don't deny the obvious. When there's a problem, we need to deal with it and face it. Not run away from it. That is it again. Let's get into our heads the word opportunity. This is there by opportunity from God to find something and make it better for His glory. The second way is flight. We'll run from it. Have you ever known somebody like that? In fact, I met somebody here recently. He's only about 26, 27 years old. And been listening to him in his conversation, I'm wondering what's going on in his life because he's in that. And he's short period of time compared to some of us. He's had about 15 different jobs. I suspect probably somewhere there not getting along with somebody somewhere. So instead of dealing with it, I'd rather run from it. And no doubt you know individuals that have left home because they didn't want to deal with the problem. They left a job because it got too difficult. Left out of a marriage or abandoned a friendship. We need to be careful. Genesis 16, 1 through 6, we read that same passage that Sarah uh, had, but it's a different situation here. Hagar is now the one that's running. 
Sarah wants to deny it. Hagar's running from it. God puts a stop to that too. He says, go home. <laughs> I'm going to take care of you. In fact, it's interesting. Um, God makes this promise to Hagar. Behold, you are with a child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, not Emmanuel, <laughs> Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, and he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. You know who Ishmael's descendants are? The Arabs. The promise has been fulfilled. There were 12 of them. And they've been a thorn in mankind's flesh ever since. But Hagar wanted to run from it. Do we run from our problems or do we face them? You know, some of us had some health issues. What if we didn't want to deny that this health issue existed? And went about our own ways? What's eventually, in fact, I did that once. You ever get pink eye? That's a childhood disease, right? I got pink eye once. Oh, this is this will just go away on its own. After my eye got swollen clear out here, I realized this isn't going to go away. I tried to believe, oh, I'm tough. I can handle this. It'll go away. Didn't work. We don't want to do that with our challenges that come into life either. Now, there is an appropriate time for flight. If you're in physical danger or even in emotional danger, like some women are in some marriages, it's time to run. Don't stay there and take it. I don't believe God will expect us to do that. Another way of running from these things is suicide. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 31.4. Unfortunately, in our society today in America, Suicide is the number three killer of our teenagers today. Now why is that? Because our teens have never been taught how to handle conflict. They've never been taught how to handle the issues that come up in life. Now part of the reason is because the parents didn't know how. But in verse 4, we see, And Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through, with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer wouldn't do it. He was greatly afraid, and therefore Saul took the sword and fell on it. I can't imagine doing that, but he was desperate enough to do it. How desperate does an individual need to be before they feel that there's no hope? I'm just going to take my life. It's the only way I can find relief. It's a growing problem in America. And it's simply because we have never been taught how to handle and face the issues of life from a biblical perspective. Then there's the escape. We want to escape our goals and, and the results. We will do anything to get our mind off of it. And that's where sometimes alcohol, drugs, getting ourselves totally immersed in a project. In fact, I've, I've seen this in homes where the, the home was completely dysfunctional. You have one child in that home that'll go to drugs and alcohol and another one will be a straight A student in school. They're both a defense mechanism. 
they're drowning themselves and burying themselves in something so they don't have to see what is obviously facing them every day. An escape that is not healthy. It usually will come back and affect them in some other way later. Then there's some that will do anything to find peace. And again, I've even seen this in some marriages where the wife was being dramatically, physically abused. And you wonder, why in the world would you stay in that? And, and the majority of the time, and in the cases that I, I've talked to, the woman said, well, it was my fault. I, I didn't give him what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted it. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not your fault. There's no way he has a right to do that to you. But they'll do that to try to maintain some level of peace within the home. It's an escape mechanism, not based on biblical principles that will bring a resolution. And all these things, because we live among people and people live around us, there's always going to be a relationship that's going to be damaged by it. So God doesn't want us to run from our challenges, but he wants us to run to him and seek a biblical resolution for it. And there is always... How many of you believe that this has the answers to all of our problems? Absolutely. All we got to do is get in there and dig out the answers and find them and then apply them. But if there's, of course, if there's a, a problem between two people, both parties got to get together and be on the same page. Let's look at another way. Attack responses. The focus here is not on winning. But on, but, and not on maintaining the relationship. It's the blame game. We want to put the blame somewhere else. So we're going to attack somewhere else. We're not going to be willing to focus on ourselves. This is my part of the problem. So there's going to be an assault. In Acts chapter 6, we find an assault that was made on Stephen. Now, all Stephen was doing was preaching the Bible. What's the big deal? 8 through 15, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freed men, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which she spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up fault witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth destroyed this place and changed the customs which Moses delivered to us. And, who, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. The assault was against Stephen because he was speaking the truth and they didn't want to hear it. Are we humble enough today to admit that there's been times in our lives when we have heard the truth and we didn't like what we heard? The problem really was with me and not with you and I didn't like that. And what did we do? We tried to turn the tables and put the blame somewhere else. That's what happened here. These people did not want to hear that they were sinners lost and going to hell. 
And so we'll use all kinds of forms of force. We'll intimidate. We'll use sarcasm. We'll use verbal attacks. We'll use gossip. We'll use slander. Anything to make us look better and them look worse. Some will even resort to violence. As we found here with Stephen, they stoned him. And that's why we have so many murders today. It's an assault on what we don't want to hear. In fact, uh, this young man that took the lives of 26, they believe the reason he did so was because his mother was going to put him in an institution because he had some emotional issues. That's not what he wanted to hear. That's not what he wanted to do. And so he was going to take it out because his mother spent more time at school with those kids than he did with his own son. It's a reaction that brings violence. Some will seek to do damage to the other individual, try to damage their finances, try to damage their reputation. Anything can to make me look better and make you look bad. When we look at those things and when we do those things, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Then there's litigation. Some will take it to court. That's never fun. Never been there, but, well, can't take, in fact, I tried to take somebody to court once. Because <laughs> they owe me money. I was a landlord and they didn't pay up their bills. And so I tried to get the money to pay the bills and I won the court case. But then when I said to the judge, I said, now how do I get my money? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, I don't know? He says, I won the case. He says, yep. I said, well, how do I tax their wages? He says, you can't. Instead of pensive, you can't tax the wages for these things. Then why did I go through all Why didn't you tell me he's up front? Because he wouldn't have got paid. <laughs> that was the bottom line. Because if I'd known I was going to get money for it, I wouldn't have wasted my time. But I had a bill that I need to get paid and I need some help with it, so I'll let them pay for it. But anyways, now after five days, Annas, the high priest, came down. This is Acts 24.1 came down with the elders and a certain orator, Tertullus, and gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Again, we're not going to read the whole thing because we're familiar with how many times Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. They took him to jail. There's Christians today that are in jail because of preaching the gospel. But we'll see as we go along here that Christians should never be taking each other. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are issues in the church that need to be dealt with. They should be resolved within the church and not in the courts if it's at all possible. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. Dear any of you have any matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and, and not before the saints. Do you know not that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you who are unworthy to judge the smallest of matters, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame, it is so that there, are, there is not a wise man among you, not even one that will be able to judge between his brethren. 
But brothers, go to the law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure that for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? What this passage say, saying basically is this. If, if Let's say, for instance, I'm running from somebody and I don't pay my bill. That needs to come before the, well, it should start with the deacon first and say, I need some help. So-and-so, pastor's not paying his rent. And I, I need some help. And so that deacon and you come together and say, okay, uh, what's, why aren't you paying the bill? Well, I don't like the house. He doesn't keep it clean, he doesn't keep it painted, and I'm just not going to pay it. You know what the excuses are. If you've been a landlord, and I've only been that once, I'll never do that again. I admire those who can do it, because that's a tough job, let me tell you. But they'll come up with all kinds of excuses. In fact, our last renter, they sent us a nine-page letter of nine things they're going to sue us for. <laughs> we weren't living in the house, but they were. But anyways, they'll do anything to try to scare you. The Bible says we can solve the problem ourselves within the church family and we should do that. Even if we have to set up some kind of a church court to deal with the matter and find a biblical resolution to it. Now, I do believe the situation should be it should the deacons come to the pastor and I'm not paying the rent and I refuse to pay the rent. Now we got another problem here that needs to go before the church in a form of church discipline. And then that person is dismissed as an unsaved individual. Now you've got a different situation, in my opinion. And now that individual can biblically take that person to court. Because now we're dealing with an unsaved individual. Lord willing, it will never get to that point. But should it do that, that's the process that God would have us to do. Then there's murder. Again, Acts chapter 7, we've, we're leading up to that. We're familiar with I trust Stephen. They murdered him. There's a lot of murder today. I heard last week in Chicago alone, there's over 500 murders a year. That's 10 a week. That's just Chicago. What's going on in the other big cities? You say, well, Pastor, I would never commit murder. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. You ever get angry? Well, what's that got to do with it? You'll find out in a moment. Matthew chapter 5 says, verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. What's he saying here? Our anger is the foundation of murder and God considers it in the same category. Anybody here ever been mad? Angry? God says that's as serious as murder. Because what's behind every murder? Anger. <laughs> serious business. So God equates anger with it. So what are their goals and results? Well, then there's the peace breakers. They're willing to lose any peace just to get what they want. They don't care how you feel. They don't care what's going on. They just want what they want. And they'll do anything to get what they want. That's when we can have a desire that can be a good desire that becomes so strong that it becomes a demand. Then we can become judgmental. That's what we see here. And then we begin to attack individuals to get what we want. 
So an attack response is only a means to manipulate to things to get what they want. But what are some peacemaking responses? Now in this, the focus is on us. I want to have a relationship with you that is healthy and, and enjoyable and pleasant. And so we need to go to the scriptures and say, this is not about me. This is mutual. This is about us. And especially in a marriage relationship. If we do these things, our marriages will be, will constantly be growing and improving. How sad it is to hear couples that have been married for 30 years and then get divorced. I don't know about you guys, but I'm 38 years in our marriage, and the last thing I want to do is get divorced. Amen. <laughs> it's getting better. I mean, I've been on a 38-year honeymoon. It just gets better every year. It would have got better quicker if I got smart quicker. <laughs> she was the smart one. I was the dumb one. I was the one that was being selfish most of the time. Putting stress in the relationship. But now I realized marriage was not about me and it was about him and about her. It began to improve and it continues to improve. The focus is on us. These efforts are commanded by God and are empowered by the gospel. That is why Christ died. We looked at that last week in communion. The reason that he came was so that we can enjoy peace here. Personal peacemaking efforts, just be, efforts are just between two. How do we do that? One, there are some things we're just going to overlook the offense. It's just not serious enough to make a fuss over. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 12. I know one thing that my wife and I have discovered in the last few years is somehow we got wise enough, probably because my wife used that rolling pin on me and I straightened up, but um, we began to ask ourselves this question. Is this really worth the arguing? Is this really worth being in your corner, my corner, and all this ice cubes in between? And you know what conclusion we came to? No, it's not worth it. So why are we expending all this energy for what? But in Proverbs 12, 16, it says this. A fool's wrath is known at once. Do we have any trouble picking out the fools in a room? In fact, it was interesting. When I was camp director, we were up at Mission Farms here. And uh, the most challenging week was the teen week because they were a little bit older and more mature and know everything. <laughs> and I had a young man in our church that was a troublemaker. And when I brought him to camp or I took him to a teen retreat, all I had to do was turn him loose for five minutes. Now, I don't know what there is about these guys. I don't know if they all smell the same or they have the internal radar, but within five minutes, they... And they're all together in the same group, and I know who to watch all week. A fool just kind of shows up. They reveal themselves real quick. And that's what this passage is saying. Verse 16. But a prudent man covers shame. 
not quick to reveal all your faults. They're just something, I love you, and this isn't worth fussing over. I'm just going to ignore it. So what if you squeeze a toothpaste tube in the middle? Does it really matter? So what if you leave your shoes laying around everywhere and I trip over and, and, and does it really matter? You understand what I'm saying? These are minor issues, but there's some things that we can make a full-blown issue out of. Or, you guys don't do this. You're bringing the place to the dinner table. That one's just a little bit bigger, but it's in the hand for her spot. How do I reverse this so I get the bigger piece? You know what I'm saying? It's all about me when we do those kind of things. Now, no pointing over there. Sarah's over there pointing to Josh. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> look at, look at uh, Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. There's some transgressions that are just, and this is the way I do it anyways, but with, with situations. Sometimes my wife will have a bad day. Not very often. I have more bad days than she does. And she might get cranky. But because it's not a habitual thing and a pattern thing, in a sense, I allow her a bad day without throwing it in her face. What's wrong with you? You're making my day miserable today. No, I just pray for and just let it be. It's not worth the rolling pin that I kept getting across. That. No. It's just not worth making a fuss over. This is not her pattern. Now, if I would see a pattern begin to develop, now I would have to address that, and she would address that with me. But if it's a one-time thing that's, that's really not a big deal, I'm not going to make a fuss over it. It's not worth it. First Peter 4 eight. Above all things, have fervent love one for another. What kind of love? You know what the word fervent means? Hot. Vivacious. Live. Exciting. For love will do what? Cover a multitude of sins. There's some things, folks, that's just not worth making a fuss over. So we overlook it. Reconciliation. Well, we're familiar with that, aren't we? Matthew 5. You're praying. Something you've got to get something. You go to them. Galatians 6.1. Go to them gently. We go gently. Humbly. we got some friction between us. I want to get it worked out. Bible says for marriages we don't go to bed angry. And I gotta admit, there's been times when my wife has annoyed me so much because she won't go to bed until we get it resolved. She sits there and she just waits until I alright, let's take care of it. Not a very good attitude on my part, but if I don't, the light's not going out. <laughs> That's what makes our marriage great. Someone who loves the Lord enough to do that. She loves the Lord and she loves me enough that I don't want this friction here. And I admit, I still don't do well at it. Negotiation. Sometimes we do have to do some negotiating. We're not getting it resolved properly. 
We need to get help from the church family, as we mentioned already. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Sometimes we have to sit down together and work out some details. We need assistance in this. And again, we're not going to go into deep in detail all these. I'm familiar with these things, but we need to seek mediation. That's again where church comes involved. We listen first. Be quick to listen. Slow to hear. And the church gets involved. Sometimes there's some arbitration necessary. I've never known that to ever happen in a church I've been in, but then we're accountable. Again, that Matthew 18 passage, we're accountable to each other. Church discipline is never an enjoyable process, but it's necessary to keep the church healthy spiritually. So we need to go to mediation. We need to go to arbitration sometimes. We need to hold each other accountable. What's our goals? God wants us to be peacemakers. Every one of us is Christian. God expects to be a peacemaker. Starting at home. And if everyone sticks with the biblical principles, there will be reconciliation. Our number one goal is to glorify God, not to satisfy what I want. We'll be developing these things a little more in the next few weeks here. But since we know Christ came so we can have peace with Him, that means we can also have peace with each other. That's why He came. That's why He shed His blood. So the most effective peacemaking is when it is done on the private level and when the disagreements are dealt with one at a time. When is it easier to pull a weed, Ron, from your garden? When it's this big or when it's this big? Have you ever gotten a hold of a weed that you just can't get it out of the ground? And when you dig it out, you find the root as deep as what you've been pulling on. But if we deal with them one at a time, it'll be a lot easier. But when we let them accumulate, now you've got a real rat's nest and snake's nest that you've got to work through. But being godly is the key to peaceful result. And what is godliness? God, I don't care how inconvenient or hard it is for me, I'm going to do it by the book. Because I love you, and I love those around me. And that's what God expects us to do. That's what keeps, maintains peace in our lives. Father, thank you for the word of God. Peace is what you came for, that we begin to, begin to enjoy it here. And Father, we look forward to the day when we'll be in that final stage of eternity and peace will be there forever. But now you send these things in our lives so that we can learn and take them as opportunities to draw closer to you and closer to each other. So help us here at Galilean to be peacemakers. First in our homes, then maybe in our place of employment, people in the neighborhood, wherever we can. Be a testimony for Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.